Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877 You know, as an advocate and a commentator, from time to time I'll play a video and I'll respond to it and dispute it, Mr. Producer, as you well know. But if I'm a reporter, that's not my job. If I'm a reporter, my job is to report on in this case, what the president said for 45 minutes in his video. Not to play point-counterpoint, well, but the attorney general said this, but his cyberspace guy said this, and they said that. And I'm talking about a report about a named young lady by the name of Fisher. I think both her parents were astronauts. Uh, in the first seven or eight minutes on the news program, They're playing parts of what the president said in his video. And she's providing commentary. And she's debating it. And she's quoting the attorney general. She's quoting the cyber security guy. She's quoting this. It's shocking to me. And yet not a single syllable about all the hearings that have taken place that are not being covered live on virtually any cable program, maybe a couple of cable channels. Not a single word. Nothing about the the cases in Pennsylvania. Nothing about rulings, judges' rulings, and now having hearings. Not a word. It's incredible to me. Now, we, we have a couple of short clips of what the president said today, and I'm also going to be posting the full version of the president's comments today. You know, here's the thing. He deserves 
at least minimal respect, doesn't he? So people can hear what he has to say without interpretation, without criticism. We already have the Democrats for that. We don't need reporters for that. And thank God for James O'Keefe and his project, Veritas. It shows you what takes place at the CNN newsroom. And I fear it's taking place in every newsroom. So I will post the full version of the president's speech today. He said he believed it was, if not the most important, one of the most important speeches that he's ever made. And Mr. Producer, for some reason, my computer cannot, cannot put a capital H. Yeah, cannot put a capital H on there. So would you please fix that for me? But we're going to go ahead and post it. And, uh, and, you can, and you can watch it yourself. You don't need interpreters. I mean, again, I'm an advocate, I'm a commentator, but I'm not a news person. Here's part of what the president said today, and again, I'm posting the full statement. Cut six, go. We used to have what was called election day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections. Mm-hmm. Wow, how radical, how terrible. He needs to cut that out. He needs to cut that out. He needs to stop. He needs to give up. This great case going to the U.S. Supreme Court, they need to withdraw that case and just allow the violations of the Constitution to continue. Our friend Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air is very, very concerned. He thinks maybe Alita will take the case. Will that what the Supreme Court did in Pennsylvania is unconstitutional? But allow the certifications to go on or at least allow the certifications that took place to take place. I don't know what Sam Alito will do. He should take up the case, and the Supreme Court should rule what was done as unconstitutional. It's clearly unconstitutional under the state constitution, and there's clearly a federal question. 
And then I hear somebody say, well, they didn't claim a federal question when they went to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Because you don't claim a federal question to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The federal question arises as a result of what the state Supreme Court actually did in response to the state legislature. Leave the constitutional law to me, geniuses. Geniuses on the internet, leave it to me. This is what I've done for almost, well, actually 40 years. Leave it to me. The former federal prosecutors, the professors who really don't get involved in this stuff, the bloggers, they're confusing people. They're creating static. And if the Supreme Court strikes it down, they'll say, see, my prediction was right. I'm not into the prediction business. And of course, these are tough battles. But the idea that there's no evidence of widespread fraud, I'll call it that. Oh, systemic. Now, let's call it widespread fraud. In fact, there's so much evidence of widespread fraud, ladies and gentlemen, I can't even catalog it all state to state. And I watch a reporter on TV who's got to be in her 20s, I guess. Good for her. Critiquing the president, cherry-picking, quoting what the attorney general said that so far they haven't seen uh, evidence of, uh, of systemic fraud or fraud that would overturn the election. Why is that even relevant? Since the truth is U.S. attorneys and Maine Justice have a secondary role in all this. Why not talk to the people who are involved in the hand-to-hand combat that's going on in these states? Many of whom are very serious lawyers bringing very serious cases. If I had these reporters here now, regardless of the cable channel, and I told them what was going on in the country, and I asked them if they thought it was serious, they wouldn't even know what I'm talking about, because they choose not to inform themselves. And to do it with a smirk on your face is even more appalling. And we heard James O'Keefe and CNN. CNN could care less what's going on out in the country. I just wish these same reporters were so smirky and snide and condescending all through the Russia collusion nonsense. But they weren't. They're carrying water for the conspiracy nuts. President of the United States, cut seven, go. I want to explain the corrupt mail-in balloting scheme that Democrats systematically put into place that allowed voting to be altered, especially in swing states. Now, let's stop. That is exactly true, based on the litigation. And any reporter on TV who'd like to call in and have a discussion about that, I'm more than happy to do it. Because none of you covered it as it was happening. None of you. Whether it was Nevada or Michigan or Georgia, even North Carolina, whether it was Pennsylvania, none of you covered it. None of you covered nearly 300 lawsuits that were brought to change the rules. And why did they bring these lawsuits to change the rules? Because they believe in good government? Is that why you get rid of signatures and signature matching? Is that why you extend the count? They're still counting in New York. Finding ballots, judges, the scale of justice being thrown into the river. Go ahead. They just didn't know that it was going to be that tough because we were leading in every swing state by so much, far greater than they ever thought possible. While it has long been understood that the Democrat political machine 
engages in voter fraud from Detroit to Philadelphia to Milwaukee, Atlanta, so many other places. What changed this year was the Democrat Party's relentless push to print and mail out tens of millions of ballots sent to unknown recipients with virtually no safeguards of any kind. This allowed fraud and abuse to occur on a scale never seen before. Using the pandemic as a pretext, Democrat politicians and judges drastically changed election procedures just months and, in some cases, weeks before the election on the 3rd of November. Very rarely were legislatures involved and constitutionally... Now, let's stop. That was all true. You had secretaries of state changing the rules, even in Georgia, even Republicans. You had boards of elections changing the rules. You had, you had executive branches changing the rules. You had courts changing the rules. Courts in Michigan. Courts in Pennsylvania changing the rules. Literally weeks before the general election. That's a fact that I didn't hear on this report tonight. That's a fact. Now that's not amenable to a criminal charge by a U.S. attorney. So when they say, well, the Department of Justice didn't find uh, that, it doesn't matter what they found. They're not the first line. Plus, I gave you a perfect example of widespread fraud in one county in Pennsylvania that was raised with the Department of Justice, that was raised with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they didn't bend a finger. Go ahead. Involved, but very, very rarely, and you'll see that as we continue to file our suits, it's constitutionally absolutely incorrect what took place, even from a legal standpoint. Listen to how thoughtful, precise, and important the president's words are and his arguments are. And he's exactly right. What took place in these states is disgusting. And they didn't get rid of signatures and get rid of postal dates and extend the counting time for mail-in voting. They didn't increase mail-in voting by four times in the nation, ten times in Pennsylvania. They didn't do all these things because they wanted a clean vote. And we know it. There's another cut I want to play from, for you from the president today in this speech. Remember, you can see the entire speech. I've linked to it on Mark Levin Show Parlor, Mark Levin Show Twitter, Mark Levin Show Facebook, which we will be leaving on December 31. The reporting on this is so bizarre. They're tracking me to see when's he going to leave. I never said I'm leaving Twitter. I said I'm leaving Facebook. Twitter hasn't done anything to me. They start censoring me, I'll leave Twitter. But Facebook is done. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. I want to take this moment. We will continue with the rest of the program shortly to talk about uh, Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Walter Williams was on this radio program fairly often over the almost 20 years I've been on radio. When I started Life, Liberty, and Levin, the very first show in February 2018, I wanted Walter Williams on my show. And he came down from suburban Philadelphia. I wanted to have him on again, uh, what, in June or July on TV, Mr. Producer, something like that. But he was on an oxygen machine, one of those portable oxygen machines that people use when they have emphysema. And so we decided we wouldn't do that. So I brought him on radio during the course of the Democrat Party riots in the streets, to have him comment on it. You know, when I was a young teenager, I was instinctively a conservative, because I didn't like authority that much. I didn't like people pushing me around. And Walter Williams, who from time to time would be on PBS with Milton Friedman and so forth, as was Thomas Sowell, But he wrote these beautiful columns. And I remember my dad and mom showing them to me and encouraging me to read them. We've lost an icon. People use that word a lot. We've lost a huge, huge presence in this society. For those of us who believe in liberty and the Constitution. And humanity of the individual. When we come back after the bottom of the hour, I want to talk a little bit further about Walter Williams before we go on. I'll be right back. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free 
selling online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. More on Walter Williams. Walter Williams had a terrific sense of humor. He's very easygoing, but he was a fierce defender of liberty. Period. When he was young, he, he experienced a lot of racism. Um... He grew up in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, then North Philadelphia, and he and I used to talk about Philadelphia. I'm a Philadelphian myself. I think he uh, he lived for several decades in suburban Philadelphia, as I recall. I also remember Walter constantly with a cigarette in his hand. Those damnable cigarettes. You do what you want. I'm just saying. I've seen too much of it. And uh, the last time I saw him again was February 2018, the kickoff of Life, Liberty, and Levin. He was hilarious, easygoing. Uh, you don't have to prep him. I mean, he knew his topic. And liberty. That's what he cared about. Liberty. He, uh, he said, you're a libertarian, kind of classical liberal. Would that be about right? He said, yeah, that's about right. You notice something about Walter Williams and his dear, close, almost lifelong friend, Thomas Hull. They didn't become never-Trumpers. They were not never-Trumpers. They didn't agree with everything Donald Trump did. They didn't agree with everything he said and the way he said it. But they understood the nature of a republic and they understood republicanism. I've had Thomas Sowell on my show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. I've had him on my radio show. I think it's very, very important that we listen to these iconic figures while they're with us. And now one of them's gone. And, you know, selfishly, personally, as I said when I first hit, heard this, it was a kick in the gut because you go, oh, no. They say people <clears throat> are replaceable. They're not replaceable. He's irreplaceable. Milton Freeman's irreplaceable. William Rusher's irreplaceable. William Buckley's irreplaceable. We have people who who feel like they, they fill their shoes today. They don't fill their shoes. Not even close. 
And Walter Williams will be missed. And right up to a few weeks before he passed away, and I suspect he knew the time was coming. I don't know, but breathing disorders, emphysema, I mean, it's it's you're you're suffocating. And here is his last column, which came out today for me, but for some people, I suppose, yesterday. This tragedy in black education is newly. That was the title. Dated December 1. Several years ago, Project Baltimore began an investigation of Baltimore's school system. What they found was an utter disgrace. In 19 of Baltimore's 39 high schools, out of 3,804 students, only 14 of them, or less than 1%, were proficient in math. In 13 of Baltimore's high schools, not a single student scored proficient in math. In five Baltimore City high schools, not a single student scored proficient in math or reading. And despite these academic deficiencies, about 70% of the students graduate and are conferred a high school diploma, a fraudulent high school diploma. Education was so important to him. Big believer in school choice. He said the Detroit Public Schools Community District scored the lowest in the nation compared to 26 other urban districts for reading and mathematics at the 4th and 8th grade levels. A recent video captures some of this miseducation in Milwaukee high schools. In two city high schools, only one student tested proficient in math. None are proficient in English. Yet the school spent a full week learning about systemic racism and Black Lives Matter activism. By the way, he says, a November 19, 2020 Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article says, how many black teachers did you have? I've only had two. And the article concludes, for future black students, that number needs to go up. New York City is one of many school systems in the United States set to roll out Black Lives Matter-themed lesson plans. According to the NYC Department of Education, teachers will delve into systemic racism, police brutality, and white privilege in their classrooms. Should we blame this education tragedy on racial discrimination or claim that it's a legacy of slavery? And then he quotes his dear friend Thomas Hall. And I tell you, Walter Williams was so graceful, as is Thomas Saul. These two are just unbelievable. Dr. Thomas Saul's research in education, assumptions versus history documents academic excellence at Baltimore's Frederick Douglass High School and others. The academic excellence occurred during the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, an era when blacks were much poorer, much poorer than today and faced gross racial discrimination. Frederick Douglass High School of yesteryear produced many distinguished alumni, such as Thurgood Marshall and Cab Calloway, and several judges, congressmen, and civil rights leaders. Federal Douglass High School was second in the nation in black PhDs among its alumni. Also in Saul's education, Assumptions versus History, is the story of Paul Lawrence Dunbar. That is the story of Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, a black public school in Washington, D.C., as early as 1899. Its students scored higher on citywide tests than any of the city's white schools. From its founding in 1870 to 1955, most of its graduates went off to college. Dunbar's distinguished alumni include U.S. Senator Edward Brooke, physician Charles Drew, and during World War II, 
nearly a score of majors, nine colonels, lieutenant colonels, and brigadier general. Today's Paul Lawrence Dunbar and Frederick Douglass high schools have material resources that would have been unimaginable to their predecessors. But having those resources have been absolutely nothing in terms of academic achievement. If we accept the notion that rotten education is not preordained, then I wonder when the black community will demand an end to an education environment that condemns so many youngsters to mediocrity. You can bet the rent money that white liberals and high-income blacks would not begin to accept the kind of education for their children that most blacks receive. Walter Williams went on. The school climate, seldom discussed, plays a very important role in education. During the 2017-18 school year, there were an estimated 962,300 violent incidents, 476,100 nonviolent incidents in U.S. public schools nationwide. Schools with 1,000 or more students had at least one sworn law enforcement officer. About 90% of those law enforcement officers carry firearms. Aside from violence, there are many instances of outright disrespect for teachers. First and second graders telling teachers to shut the F up and calling teachers bees. Years ago, much of that behavior from young people that we see today would have never been tolerated. There was the vice principal's office where corporal punishment would be administered for gross infractions. If the kid was unwise enough to tell his parents what happened, he might get more punishment at home. Today, unfortunately, we have replaced practices that work with practices that sound good and caring. And we are witnessing the results. Dr. Walter Williams, final column. Professor of Economics at George Mason University. Who will be remembered as long as I live on this program. And, as I say, he was the first guest on the inaugural show of Life, Liberty, and Levin. And I'm going to interrupt what I was talking about earlier to play some of what he said. Now, I'll play some, and then we'll take a break, and I'll play some more. February 25, 2018. Cut 15, go. How would you define liberty? Well, I defined it as as uh, people being able to engage in peaceable, voluntary exchange without interference by others. And in typically down through mankind's history, uh, liberty is not the normal state of affairs. Uh, that is, throughout mankind's history, he's been subject to arbitrary abuse and control by others. And so the amount of liberties that Americans have and perhaps Western Europe as well, the amount of it is relatively rare mm-hmm. in humankind. And, and I think that the danger that we face is that some historian, maybe 200 years from now, he might be writing, he says, well, look, the normal state of affairs has been arbitrary abuse and control by others. And there's this little tiny curiosity where a relatively few people had a large amount of liberty for a short amount of time, but it all went back to the normal state of affairs. That is arbitrary abuse and control by others. Do you think liberty has the seeds of its own demise, that there's a paradox because 
people who don't support liberty or who are unwitting about liberty can still use liberty to destroy liberty. Oh, that's absolutely right. That, that is, they can use liberty to destroy liberty. They can use the... If you look at, if you look at uh, totalitarians around the world, they always start out... They are for, for free speech. That is because they need free speech to get their foot in the door. But after their foot is in the door... They want to eliminate uh, free speech. And you see this all over the country. You'll see this all over the world. And we're beginning to see it in the United States. Uh, That is, uh, uh, in Berkeley, that was the the, the seed of the uh, free speech movement. But now at Berkeley, they don't want any free speech whatsoever. So, uh, so, So, again, I think that... We have to be very, very concerned because we're losing our liberty. And, and, if, and, and if you ask the question, which way are we moving, tiny steps at a time, are we headed towards more personal liberty or towards more government control over our lives? It would have to be unambiguously the latter. So true, particularly over the last 12 months when you see what governors have been doing and mayors have been doing. We're going to continue with Walter Williams after our break. Mark Lovin. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. The iconic Walter Williams who passed away either late last night or early this morning. February 25, 2018 on the inaugural Life, Liberty, and Levin program. Cut 16, go. You know, when I was about 20 years old, my father and I visited a senator by the name of Paul Laxalt from Nevada. He was very close to Ronald Reagan. And one of the things he said to me that has stuck with me ever since... Every day Congress meets, he said, we lose a little bit of our liberty. Now, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. The American people largely do not like politicians. The American people largely do not like Congress. You know, all the polls come through, the Congress rates very lowly. But it seems like when there's a problem, there's a big percentage of the American people on health care or housing or, or gun laws or what have you, they immediately say, Government should do something. They don't trust the bureaucracy. They don't trust Washington. They don't trust Congress. But government should do something. How do you explain that paradox? Well, I, I think that um, 
there's a temptation among all humans to want to live at the expense of somebody else. That is, the American people, and it's, it's sad to say this, is that the American people love to live at the expense of somebody else. That is, whether it be farmers, they want to farm subsidies, poor people, food stamps, businesses, business bailouts. So if, if let's say in the case of a farmer, is the farmer's having trouble, and if he comes and puts a gun to me and says, give me your money, he's going to go to jail. But if he goes to Washington and gets a congressman to write a law enabling the IRS to take my money, he doesn't go to jail. So what people like to use government to do things that if they did the same thing, they would go to jail. So what, what I'm saying is that people like to use the government to legalize theft. How much time do I have, Rich? Not enough. I've got two other clips I want to play after the top of the hour that are very important, too. But you see how these pearls of wisdom, how this brilliance just flows. There's very few people, very few people who are capable of taking relatively complex subjects and reducing them down to relatively simple and understandable sentences. And that's why this man was so influential on so many of our lives. I don't believe there's a conservative in radio or TV today who wasn't influenced, and I mean significantly, by Walter Williams. And Walter Williams' reach through his columns and his books and substitute hosting for Rush Limbaugh. Remember that? He was He was tremendous. He was hilarious. Used to talk about his wife. Mrs. Williams wouldn't permit this, and Mrs. Williams, and then she passed away. That was his darling. And, uh, you know, 2020 has really sucked. It has really been a terrible, terrible year. I'm just being honest. With this coronavirus, the effect on the economy the disastrous potential outcome of the presidential election, the death of so many wonderful people. And even though Walter Williams and I weren't like social buddies, but he was, he was, uh, he was, he was extremely influential and, uh, he was more than happy to come on the program. Wasn't he Mr. Producer? He was, he was a happy warrior. And you always wanted to hear what he had to say. The 2020's been lousy. Very, very lousy. When we come back, that matters, so was 2018 and 2019. I'm just talking about for me, but that's a whole other story. We're going to come back to Walter Williams. I'm in no rush. I'm going to hear a few other... Brilliant statements he had to make in response to some of my questions, and then we'll, we'll continue to plow ahead. I hope you'll stick with us. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 By the way, I want to I wanna throw this out, out there before I forget. I have a recommendation for the president and the people advising him. I would very quickly set up an election integrity commission. Not to get their work done in the next two weeks or three weeks or by January 20. Give them a mission. Give them an appointment. To get into what took place in this election. Because we cannot allow this to happen down the road. Continue with these lawsuits. Continue with these hearings. I want the people of Pennsylvania to know that your legislature left without doing a damn thing about what took place in that state. Not a damn thing. At least we have some people in Michigan, some people in Nevada, some people in Wisconsin who are still fighting. But not the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania, which blew it from day one. I actually spoke to the president pro pro tem. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the Republican Senate. Seemed like a nice enough guy. But I could also tell he had no fire in his belly for the fight. None whatsoever. The Republican leadership in the House and in the Senate in Pennsylvania is a disgrace. They allowed the governor, the secretary of state, the attorney general, and the five Democrats out of the seven justices on that court to walk all over them. And they were so cowardly, they passed this massive mail-in voting, uh, voting ballot system in violation of their own constitution. And if the Supreme Court doesn't straighten that out, we will have a constitutional crisis. If they don't straighten it out and fix what the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania refused to do, we will have a constitutional crisis, in my humble opinion. Now, you might say, Mark, what's the point of this commission? Biden will come in and eliminate it. Good, let him do it. Because that'll show the cover-up. I don't understand people. They're not strategic. They're not tactical. They're not anything. They just roll over and whine. No. There should be an election integrity commission set up by the President of the United States to look at all these issues rather than waiting around for, for law enforcement, rather than wait, and, and, not, and not to replace justice or not replace a committee of Congress. We had a, a commission in 2005 to take a look at the various changes that took place in these states, who brought the lawsuits, who made the changes, look at them in the context of existing constitutional state law, one state after another, so the American people can know what took place. What happened at the United States postal system? What happened with observers? And write down the list. And so my suggestion is a 
an immediate appointment in the next few days of an election integrity commission. And no, you don't put a bunch of liberal Democrats on there, and that's, I'm not, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the truth. You're not going to get the truth from them. Serious, solid people. Constitutionalists, if you will. Or as the Washington Post likes to call us, right-wingers. But no, constitutionalists. Five, six, eight. That's it. Nothing bigger. And if Joe Biden comes in and disbands it, then you'll know exactly what's going on. That'll further underscore what the Democrats have been up to. And so I do believe there ought to be this Election Integrity Commission set up soon by the president and begin to take the information. Can't rely on the media. The media is corrupt. Media is corrupt. Can't rely on Republicans. They're cowards. Can't even rely on half of the conservative media because they're not conservative anymore. They're bizarre. Walter Williams was a fighter. Walter Williams. February 25, 2018 on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Cut 17, go. So in other words, using government, the law, the power of government, to take something from someone and give it to somebody else. Or to take something from a generation that's not yet born. You know, we have over $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities, $21 trillion in fiscal operating debt. There's going to be a trillion-dollar deficit this year. They just voted one of the most massive budgets in American history. The Republicans did, and the president signed it. Three generations from now, two generations from now, those kids are going to have to deal with this. So even when it comes to their own children and grandchildren, do you think parents who love their children and grandchildren, do you think they delude themselves into thinking, well, that's them, that's that's this ambiguous future generation, my kids will be fine? What's the mindset there? Well, well, I I think here's the problem is that the big collapse will not come until 2030 or 2040. And any congressman who will take steps now to prevent the big collapse, he's going to be thrown out of office. That is the the major big problem in our in our spending is Social Security and Medicare. Any congressman talking about doing something about Social Security, doing something about Medicare, he's going to be run out of office and by, by the people who are over 65 who vote in large numbers. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is it reasonable for us to expect a politician to do what he considers to be political suicide? I say no. It's unreasonable for us to expect that of a politician. So a politicians are running a congressman. His time horizons is two years, not 15 or 20 years. It's two years. And so that's what we have to live with. So that is a circular problem then, because these people will continue to do what they're doing, these politicians. In fact, they grab more and more power from the private sector, from the individual. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't have the ability, either because of the public or because of their own lack of, mm-hmm. of will, to do what needs to be done 20, 30, 40 years out. That's right. So it, what happens to a country? It, well, if, if, uh, people will say, well, well, what can we do? And I ask, well, uh, are the American people, as human beings, are we any different from the Spanish, the Portuguese, the French, 
the British, great empires of the past who went down the tubes for doing roughly what we're doing, bread and circuses. And I say, well, maybe we're not that different. And maybe uh, the, uh, we, we're going to share the same future as those other great empires of the past. Keep in mind, we have betrayed the founding fathers of our country. I mean, if you look at Federalist Paper 45, when James Madison was writing Federalist Paper 45, he was trying to convince the citizens of New York to ratify the Constitution. And they were afraid to ratify the Constitution. And he said, the powers that we've delegated to the federal government are few and well-defined and restricted mostly to external affairs. The powers left with the people in the state are indefinite and numerous. If you turn that upside down, we have what we have now. The powers of the federal government are indefinite and numerous. Unbelievable. The genius of Walter Williams. Let's play one final clip from my interview of Walter Williams. I wish I could play the whole hour, but we're unable to. Cut 18, go. Would you agree with me that in many respects we now live in a, to follow up on your point, a post-constitutional period? I, it's not really a federal republic since the states live at the behest of the federal government. It's not really a representative republic. You have this massive administrative state with two million you know, civil servants, bureaucrats. And it's not really a constitutional republic when five individuals on the court can decide in a five to four vote if something is fundamental Mm-hmm. or not fundamental, or they decide to nationalize an issue, mm-hmm. then there's no recourse. What kind of a government is this right now? Well, we're moving towards totalitarianism. That is, I'm not saying that we're a totalitarian nation yet, but which way are we headed? Tiny steps at a time. More government control over our lives or more liberty. And it's, a, and it's the latter, more government control over our lives. And so, and, and, and the tragic thing about this is that the American people have contempt for the United States Constitution. Contempt and ignorance, because any politician who decided to uphold and defend the United States Constitution, he would not get elected to office by the American people. That is, if he says, look, uh, uh, nowhere in the Constitution is there authority for the federal government to be involved in education. So if you send me to Washington... I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to bring back billions of dollars in aid to higher education because it's not in the Constitution. He'd be run out of town. Do you think then that progressivism, this anti-constitutional, anti-republic ideology, born of, in my opinion, Rousseau, and Hegel, Marx, and their progeny, you know, Dewey, Crowley, Wilson, you think they've succeeded? Well, I, I, the, the Jeffersonians and the Anti-Federalists, they have not succeeded. And so the progressives have, uh, concede, uh, uh, have succeeded very well. The, the Wilsonian uh, objectives or vision is, is, is hard set in our economy. Or if you look at the Communist Manifesto written by Marx and Engels, if you look at the, at the things that they want, the ten things they wanted, we've accomplished it in our country. Mm-hmm. Walter Williams. He'll never be silenced. There's so much that he's written and so much that he has said. So he lives on in that sense, doesn't he? 
and he has a magnificent legacy. And really, when our time is up, family, friends, and you hope for a good legacy. And just to underscore his point, here's a headline from PJ Media. New York City restaurant owner who declared his business an autonomous zone has been arrested. Arrested. Why? Because he wanted to keep his restaurant open. Because his entire livelihood was being destroyed right in front of his face. He did everything he could to survive. To provide for his family. And the city and state told him he was not free to do it. He was not free to serve food. He's under arrest. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back All to right. the best of me. I have a question for the reporters who keep quoting, officials tell us, officials tell us, and officials tell us that there's nothing unusual about this. It's not fraud and so forth. What do the officials tell you in Pennsylvania about how they passed the mail-in voting in an omnibus bill called Act 77, contravening the Constitution of Pennsylvania? The officials tell you that's okay? Of course they do. But it's a blatant violation of the Pennsylvania Constitution. As even the Commonwealth Court, the appellate judge, all but indicated when she went ahead and issued the temporary injunction to prevent the state of Pennsylvania, that is the Secretary of State's office and then the governor, from certifying any more electors. Until she was immediately interceded in a very bizarre move by the Supreme Court of that state, the five Democrats, to change the outcome. They didn't even want a hearing. Didn't even want a hearing. What do the officials in that state have to say? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Now I want you to ask yourselves a question. Why so much law-breaking Why changing safeguards and security measures are important? From verifying signatures, that's basic stuff, to even having signatures. 
to treating mail-in ballots like they're more important than in-person ballots. Giving people more time, less scrutiny. It's all to help the Democrat Party. So how do reporters explain that? How do they explain it? Well, the coronavirus. It's not the coronavirus. Tens of millions of people voted in person on election day. The coronavirus. Pennsylvania changed its law unconstitutionally in October 2019. Mr. Producer, was the coronavirus around in Pennsylvania or anywhere in this country in October 2019? No, there was no coronavirus in America. It had nothing to do with the coronavirus. The coronavirus from day one has been an excuse. How do we know that? Because Pelosi and her soldiers and the media and her surrogates They've been pushing this mail-in voting from day one. Now, why are they pushing the mail-in voting? Is it that their base is so stupid they don't know how to get off their ass and go vote in person, which is what we've been doing in this country for what? A couple hundred years? So why are they doing it? Why are they not requiring signatures? Why are they not requiring signature matches? For God's sakes, why are they not requiring postal stamps uh, and date stamps so you know if the, the ballot came in on time? And why did five justices on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court institute those changes to an unconstitutional law, in that case, against the wishes of the Republican state legislature? Well, officials tell us there's nothing wrong with this, and officials tell us nothing happened fraudulently. As I've been saying over and over again, you look at these different states, even put aside fraud. They made fraud legal. Prior to these changes, if you sent in a ballot and you didn't have a signature on it, it's thrown out. You don't get to count that. If you counted it, it's fraud. Prior to these changes, if your signature doesn't match another signature they have on record in their data banks, and that's counted, that's fraud. Prior to these changes, all illegal, all unconstitutional, If you didn't get your ballot in on time, but they counted it anyway, that's fraud. So fraud was made legal by unconstitutional acts of the state Supreme Court on top of an unconstitutional act by the state legislature. But Trump needs to stop criticizing, you see. Trump needs to stop litigating. I dare any reporter to call this program and discuss this. Any reporter from any news outlet. It'll never happen. They're corrupt as hell. That's what's been going on in this country. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You heard of Lady Liberty? Well... This is Mr. Liberty. 
You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. Nor am I transitioning into Lady Liberty, Mr. Hughes. I want to go through this again because maybe I did it too quickly before the break. Under the Pennsylvania Constitution, in order to change the election laws in the Constitution, you have to amend the Constitution. This goes way back Pennsylvania Supreme Court precedent into the 1830s. It's got one of the most difficult amendment processes of any state. It also has one of the strictest election processes in any state. There's no early voting. Absentee voting, but that's separate. And it's the only form of write-in voting that's permitted. And they have strict requirements for it. Well, the Democrat Party and Biden, they needed to break Pennsylvania because they wanted Pennsylvania in the election. They lost it in 2016. So they swarmed on Pennsylvania. The governor, liberal Democrat. The lieutenant governor, crazy-ass liberal Democrat. The secretary of state, radical nutcase. The attorney general, radical nutcase. Five out of seven justices, radical rogue justices. The last three elected very recently... Enormous amount of money is coming out of the unions out of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and they got their candidates on the bench. There are special pleaders for the Democrat Party. The Republicans in the state legislature are what we call rhinos. They're, for, the, for the most part, they're very weak. I know this. I'm a Pennsylvanian. 1976, when I supported Reagan... I was dismissed by these rhinos who thought it was a joke. 1980, when I supported Reagan, they supported Bush. They're always a generation or two behind the times. And so in 2019, the Republican legislature passes an omnibus bill called Act 77. And in this omnibus bill, they put in this mail-in voting. Universal mail-in voting. In violation of their oath. And not only is it a violation of the state constitution, it undermines the purpose and the intention of Article 2 of the federal constitution, and the entire electoral college process is poisoned, it's tainted, when one state goes off in a rogue fashion like this. And so quickly the governor signed it on October, in October 2019. Less than a year ago. But the governor didn't get everything he wanted. The Democrats didn't get everything they wanted. Joe Biden didn't get everything he wanted. But they had the Supreme Court exactly where they wanted it. They wanted to eliminate the signature requirement. They wanted to eliminate the signature comparison requirement, both of which are intended to ensure that the person who is voting is the person who is voting and to help prevent fraud. The five justices out of the seven on the Supreme Court eliminated the signature requirement and the signature comparison requirement. 
Then there was this little issue of having a postage date stamp on your envelope. You know, if you show up to vote in person, they can see if you're there in time. By 8 p.m. Eastern time, if you come in later, you don't get the vote. They're very strict about that. They shut the door. You're one minute late, you don't get the vote. But not if you're a mail-in voter. If you're a mail-in voter, you get essentially another three days till 5 p.m. Friday. Where did that come from? The Biden campaign wanted it. The Democrats in the executive branch wanted it. And the Democrats on the Supreme Court wanted it. So in addition to a violation of the fundamental constitutional state requirements in Pennsylvania by the legislature and the executive branch, it didn't go far enough for the Democrats. So they went around the legislature where they couldn't get these changes, and they had them imposed by the state Supreme Court. Now, why do you think they did that? Prior to the state Supreme Court issuing that order, a ballot that came in without a signature was discarded. A signature that didn't match would be considered fraud, discarded and investigated. A ballot that came in without a postage date or a legible postage date was discarded. Once the Supreme Court did what it did, all of those ballots became ballots that were counted. Why don't they report this on the news? We don't have evidence, they say, of systemic fraud that would change the result of the election. Well, I don't know about all these fraud cases. They seem pretty strong to me. But this is worse than a fraud case. Here you have the people you rely on to uphold the rule of law, to pass the laws that they're supposed to uphold. In the case of the state Supreme Court, it's supposed to uphold the Constitution. That's why they take an oath. That's why they wear black robes. That's why they're called your honor. But that's not what they did. That's not what they did. They took what used to be fraud and they made it legal. And they did it by circumventing the Constitution. So all those votes that didn't have signatures, all those votes where the signature didn't compare, all those votes that didn't have postal dates on them, that would have been thrown out, now, if you could even find them, given how they've commingled everything, you'd be said, oh, you're disenfranchising voters. Now, you can't disenfranchise voters. You're disenfranchising all these people who failed to follow what was state law. And by the way, the same people who would have been quote-unquote disfranchised two years before and four years before that, and every two-year cycle, for a hundred years. But not this time. And then you have these fools with blog sites who sit behind their computers and they start typing fast. I don't know about this case, and this case, and this case. They don't even understand what the hell is going on. 
They don't have the foggiest idea what's going on. The Democrats are destroying our institutions to make it impossible to win these states. And Republicans, in many cases, are going along with them. Are going along with them. In places like Georgia. And Arizona. And Pennsylvania. And the Democrats think this is all swell. Why? Because they did it. That's why. The media thinks this is all swell. Everything should stop and everybody's crazy. Why? Because they're Democrats. That's why. Joe Biden hasn't received a single question about any of this. Why did your party do X? Why did your party do Y? Why would your party go in and bring this? Not once. Not once. Because they did it. In almost 300 pieces of litigation and administrative actions. They did it. This is why the president is fed up. This is why patriots all over this country are trying to figure out how to handle this. This is why patriot lawyers all over this country are trying to find ways to conduct discovery and to bring lawsuits. Everything I just described to you is not officially a crime. So when the Attorney General or people at the Department of Justice say, look, we don't have evidence of systemic fraud. Well, of course, in the scenario I just gave you, they don't have evidence of systemic fraud because the fraud occurred in the violation of the state constitution and the election laws that affect the federal electoral college. There's no crime codified in the federal you know, at the federal level, that you can pursue that. That's why I said yesterday when I read what the Associated Press said, and I didn't take it out of context, that I felt my good friend uh, Bill Barr was misleading because there's fraud and then there's fraud. And indeed, the outcome in Pennsylvania could be different. Because the argument now is, wait a minute, that's 2.6 million ballots. And so we have this conundrum. You're bringing lawsuits, uh, you know, where there aren't enough ballots affected, we're told at National Review. And of course, no judge is going to consider that. And then, wait a minute, that's 2.6 million ballots. No judge is going to deny 2.6 million ballots. You get the point? Now, what the Supreme Court of the United States is being asked to do is its damn job as it sits there and watches all this. It failed to do its damn job five weeks ago when the Article 2 issue came up through Pennsylvania and say, hey, justices, over here, over here, our Supreme Court's violating Article 2 of the federal constitution. There's a federal issue, a federal question, the federal constitution. Help us up. No, no, I think we'll sit tight. John Roberts. I think we'll sit tight. Comes up with a 
with an argument that if he was writing it in an essay, in an exam, in law school, he would flunk. It's a federalism issue here because of the state supreme. There's no federalism issue. There's an Article 2 issue. That's what happens when a justice goes Hollywood or Georgetown or whatever. And wants to vote with the others. I, I, I voted, you know, with the others. I, I want some positive stuff in Politico and, uh, and, and, and the New York Times and the Washington Post. You know, it's just easier to go along and get along, you know. I know. And so what should the Supreme Court do now? It should do what the petitioner said. If this isn't a federal question, there are no federal questions. At the state Supreme Court level, the question was a state constitutional question. But for the United States Supreme Court, the state is a federal constitutional question because it's dragged into this because of the violation of the state constitution. The entire reason for choosing electors is what? For the electoral college. And what does the electoral college do? It chooses the president and the vice president, or at least makes the recommendation to whom? The federal Congress. And then the federal Congress does what in a joint session on January 6th? It counts the electors. This isn't a holy Pennsylvania issue. Consider it like in a criminal case, the fruit of the poisonous tree. It's not an exact parallel, but it's good enough. You can't have state. What if Pennsylvania had said, the Pennsylvania legislature had said, you know, we're going to pass a law that for now on only Democrats can be electors. Only Democrats, because our plenary power under Article 2 includes lawless power. I don't know. It's called plenary power, not plenary lawless power. It is assumed you're going to act within your own law, within your own constitution. I don't know that we've had many cases like this before. That's how how much of an anomaly this is. And here's the kicker. You know what the Pennsylvania Constitution requires? If you're going to amend the Constitution, in addition to two votes by the legislature, in addition to publishing in in the counties and two newspapers and so forth, a number of weeks have to go by, The final say is in the people of the state. They vote. The people have to vote to amend the Constitution. They were completely disenfranchised. Because the legislature and the governor violated the Constitution. And nobody talks about, as I said last week, the disenfranchisement of the people of Pennsylvania when it came to changing and allowing the mail-in vote. They never had a say and no signature, no signature comparisons, no postage uh, mark, no mail-in vote. They never had a say, and yet under the Constitution of State of Pennsylvania, they have the final say. What about their disenfranchisement? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. I only have three minutes here, and I want to spend one minute saying this. So what should the Supreme Court do? I'll tell you what I would do if I were a justice. 
I'd rule yes. It's absolutely unconstitutional. And it is, of course, a federal question, the whole point of electors. It's not just a state or federalism issue. And so, yes, it was unconstitutional. And yes, it does affect the Electoral College. But we're the United States Supreme Court, and we don't count the electors. Congress does. And we don't send the electors. The state legislatures do. So we're not in the business of fashioning a political remedy. We'll leave that to the political bodies. That, in this case, would be the Pennsylvania State Legislature and the Federal Congress when it meets. We're just here, as we always are, judicial review, to make sure the federal constitution is upheld. And what Pennsylvania did in changing its election laws, violating its constitution, has had an effect on the Electoral College. Whether or not those votes should count, whether or not those electors should count, that's not our business. We will leave that to the state legislature and ultimately to the United States Congress. That's how the United States Supreme Court should rule. We're not going to fashion a remedy, but on the other hand, the tail doesn't wag the dog here. We will address and we will confront what was done. Because imagine this going on state after state after state after state. Where are you going to draw the line if you don't draw it now? It's not just a federal question. It's a super-duper federal question. All right. Stick with me. I'll see you in a few minutes. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. And we will get to some calls. But before we do, we have additional clips from James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, uh, where, as you know, he sat in and maybe a staff did, and they recorded uh, these conversations at the 9 a.m. PM, uh, uh, Eastern Time conference calls coming down from Baby Doc Jeff Motherzucker, the rest of the senior staff, where he would tell everybody what it is that we're going to do that day in terms of news. And of course, that's not news, that's propaganda from a radical ideologue. CNN has been weaponized now as an anti Trump, anti Republican operation. Massive in-kind contribution to the Democrats, the neo-Marxists, and the Marxists. I remember when it was a real news organization. It was really boring, but nonetheless, if you wanted real news, that's where you went. So here we have CNN Senior Vice President Cynthia Hudson at this 9 a.m. conference call. She demeans marginalized community, states she's terrified that Cubans support Trump. This is a Senior Vice President at CNN. 
Cut 19, go. Trump has used the communism, socialism uh, uh, rhetoric as part of his uh, hook for the Cubans in Miami. How that has resonated and how the Biden, uh, the Biden team has not done enough to counter that. This is all that, that the only reason they are supporting Trump is because of that narrative. And that narrative and the fact that, sadly, I have to say, uh, there's a population that uh, is very attracted to bullies. And no one is countering it properly in Florida. The Cubans are going to vote for Trump. And that's terrifying. And so um, I think that there is a way to counter the narrative in Florida that is not being taken advantage of. Does she not sound like a political operative, Mr. Producer? She's a senior vice president, Cynthia Hudson, at CNN. First of all, look how she smears Cubans. Part of the population of the Cubans, of course, they like bullies, and they are bullies. You know, the Cubans, you know how they are. She's talking about how to counter Trump's narrative. That Biden is a socialist... The narrative about communism, because that's the only reason the Cubans are voting for Trump, and it's, it's frightening. It's terrifying. I think she said, quote, that's terrifying. The Cubans are going to vote for Trump, and that's terrifying, quote, unquote. I have to say, there's a population that's very attracted to bullies. This is CNN. This is CNN. Now, did that woman sound like a news person, ladies and gentlemen? There, there's really now a, a complete obliteration of the line between news people and political commentators. There, it, it's gone. The moment I turn on cable news, this is all I see. It's not analysis. You know, we're doing analysis. You're not doing analysis. You're advancing an agenda. Trashing the President of the United States. President puts out his video today, and one of these reporters is debating with the video. Everything I told you last hour about Pennsylvania, none of those words have ever crossed her lips. Then they bring out another reporter 10 or 15 minutes later on one of these channels. He's going on, the officials say, the officials say, the officials say. Well, the officials in Pennsylvania are the perpetrators. What kind of reporting is this? What kind of media? And look at the CNN. The Cubans are going to vote for Trump, and that's terrifying, she says. And then trashes the Cuban population. Cynthia Hudson, senior vice president of CNN. Now let's listen to the next clip. Jeff Zucker and CNN vice president David Chalian. Again, at a 9 a.m. conference call, they... They're not going to cover the Hunter Biden story, period. We're not going to cover it. Listen to this one. Cut 20. Go. I think uh, on the Breitbart, New York Post, Fox News, rabbit hole of Hunter Biden, which I don't think anybody outside of that world understood last night, the Wall Street Journal reported that uh, their review of all corporate records showed no role for Joe Biden. uh, Let's stop there a second. Why are they citing the Wall Street Journal? Isn't this an independent news operation? So they're cherry-picking, like political operatives. 
There's enormous amount of information. There's emails, there's text messages. There's names of potential witnesses that they could pursue. No, 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 they don't want to pursue that. It's the Fox News, New York Post, Breitbart rabbit hole. We're not going down a rabbit hole unless, of course, that rabbit hole involves Trump and Russia. Go ahead. Uh, uh, on the Chinese deal. And yes, I do put more credibility in the Wall Street Journal than I do in the New York Post. Um, well, what does I'm, that have to do with anything? Why don't you do your own damn reporting, you a-hole? Are we gonna put it in the uh, Wall Street Journal? It just shows you how how far CNN is from any kind of a serious news operation. Doesn't even look into it. Doesn't want to look into it. Go ahead. New York Post story uh, right now on Hunter Biden, and uh, which seems to be uh, giving its marching orders to Fox News and the right-wing echo chamber about what to uh, talk about today. Obviously, Hunter Biden's lawyer. First of all, this Fox News, they are obsessed with Fox News. You know, they can hate Fox News and still go after the Hunter Biden story. Fox News didn't create the Hunter Biden story. Hunter Biden created the Hunter Biden story. But you were wondering why the rest of the media didn't cover it? They're having exactly the same kind of propaganda meetings as Zucker and Chalian at CNN. This is going on at MSNBC and NBC, at CBS and ABC. This is going on at the New York Times and the Washington Post. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Democracy dies in darkness. Democracy dies with our media, to be perfectly honest with you. So here they are explicitly stating they are not going to cover the Hunter Biden story. Period. Period. Go ahead. Quoted in the New York uh, Post piece, and we'll just continue to report out. This is the very stuff that the president was impeached over. This is the stuff that Senate committees looked at and found nothing wrong in uh, Joe Biden's uh, interactions. How did the Senate committees look at this when this information wasn't even available? It was on the hard drive of the laptop. But look how they're lying. Look how they're propagandists. Look at what they're going to do. Go ahead. With Ukrainians and uh, now having an email that uh, perhaps there was a meeting with someone uh, from Burisma is, uh, uh, it seems, uh, Rudy Giuliani. They don't have the foggiest idea what these emails say or what these texts say because they haven't taken the time to look at them. You see how he's stumbling? Go ahead. A vision of, of how to throw stuff at the wall in these closing days of the campaign. Hey, Jeff, it's just David on the Burisma story, and we should be awfully careful about that, obviously. But I do think there's a media story of what in the world are uh, Maggie Hammerman and uh, Jake Sherman doing retweeting that story. Okay, so now they want to go after this woman, Maggie Ham- Haberman, who is a leftist, but she writes the New York Slimes. And so what their CNN is saying now. We can't allow this. She's stepping out. Why would she tweet this story? And this guy Sherman at Politico, I believe they said Jake Sherman. What, what are these two doing tweeting this story out, this Hunter Biden stuff? We need to find out what the hell's going on with these people. Don't they understand? This is a group effort. 
This is groupthink. You know, you know, it's amazing. I wrote this book on freedom of the press. It lays it all out. The history of the press. The history of the attacks on Trump. I see our friend, although I don't know him. Ari Fleischer out there announcing two years in advance. Hey, everybody. I'm writing a book called Broken about the press. Well, I wish you well. Maybe we should send him a copy of mine. But nonetheless, it's exactly what goes on. How in the hell can the New York Times reporter and the Politico reporter, I think she said Jake, he said Jake Sherman, step out like this? This is Fox. This is a rabbit hole. This is Breitbart. This is, this is the New York Post. We don't believe in any of that. Why does it matter to them what Breitbart or the New York Post or anything? Go after the facts. See what's going on. No. We want our boy in there. We want our Biden in there. CNN, you know, after the president issued his video and he went over the heads of the media, which isn't hard, uh, they said that the president's video was, what did they say, a rambling speech, Mr. Producer? Now, the only guy who gives rambling speeches is Joe Biden. Have they ever said Joe Biden gave a rambling speech or a rambling res- Never. Jeff Zucker wouldn't like that. Chairman Mao Zucker would never allow that. You know, I would say in the case of Zucker, well, let me put it to you this way. I would say in the case of most people, just another pretty face, man, this guy, it's not a pretty face at all. Looks like he uh, hit an unfortunate meeting with a waffle iron, Mr. Producer. What the hell happened to that face? No wonder he's behind the scenes manipulating events. He's a Svengali. Go ahead. These eerie Pennsylvania allegations of um, back- All right, let's start out. So now, now we're going to play cut 21. This is Zucker and CNN Executive Vice President David Vigilante. He's a vigilante. But notice Zucker's in every one of these meetings. They're kowtowing to Zucker, and Zucker's setting the directive for the whole thing. Go. These eerie Pennsylvania allegations of um, backdating ballots were retracted. Trump continuing to undermine election integrity. You know, this is hilarious. The Trump, this is Zucker. It sounds like he has uh, cotton in his mouth. But for those of you out there who are, who are mentally deficient, who have trouble completing your sentences, look like the backside of a poodle, there's hope for you. Look, Jeff, Jeff Zucker made it. Jeff Zucker made it. Isn't it funny to hear them talk about undermining the integrity of an election? Isn't that amazing? We're getting ready for riots. We've got undermining election from sea to shining sea. I've spent a lot of time again on Pennsylvania, and there's other states too. No, 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 no. We're not going to report on that. Trump. Trump's undermining the election. How's he doing it? By bringing lawsuits? By going into court? By filing papers by filing the rules or by using the FBI to send spies into the campaign or getting phony FISA warrants or paying money for a phony dossier written primarily by a Russian spy did Trump do any of that stuff no I don't think so I don't think so Jeff 
Go ahead. Okay, and he's continuing to do it. And that leads to the question of whether or not Trump in himself is a national security threat. Oh, so you see, according according to Jeff Zucker, the question is whether Trump is a national security threat. You know what, Jeff Zucker? You're a sick bastard. You really are. You're a grotesque excuse for a human being. Just a, a sickening propagandist with a fascistic mind, in my humble opinion. And I use the word mind loosely. Go ahead. Doing, and in light of what he did in the debate. Hey, Jeff, it's David. I just wanted to make one point about contextualizing Ben Ginsburg. Uh, he's without a doubt the preeminent election lawyer on the Republican side, and probably one of the most preeminent election lawyers in America. He's also had a front row seat to every uh, Republican so ben's election. So Ginsburg is this Bush guy who was involved in uh, the 2000 race. And he's been kind of dumping on Trump. He said, I think we, uh, we, we need to bring uh, Ben Ginsburg in here and contextualize uh, what Ben Ginsburg is saying. I mean, you know, we got, we got some of these good repubics out there. We got to bring in. Let's see if we can get Romney. Romney, uh, there's anyone else? We got Romney. We can contextualize with Romney. Uh, because that'll be a good contextualizing right there. Oh, yeah. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. Let's go to Rick in Israel. Where it is, uh, let's see, Rick, it's like 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning. But you're like me. You're an insomniac and you listen to the Internet. How are you, my friend? I'm good. 2.30 in the morning, two nights in a row. 2.30? And where are you in Israel? Caesarea. Can you prove that, sir? I'm just kidding you. Go ahead. Uh, uh, So I I get my legal education from you, uh, great one. And I was just wondering, don't... The states have an independent interest in Pennsylvania conducting its election in accordance with the with the constitution. Let me ask you a question. What do you, what do you do? I'm in telecommunications. I make technology and telecoms. Well, I want you to know you're brilliant, and I want you to know you're exactly right. And your question is: Can one state sue another because of the impact it has on the electoral college? And the answer, in my view, is not only yes, but hell yes. And then, of course, you have a state suing a state. You immediately have a federal question, don't you? Yes. 
Yes. So why don't these AGs from Texas and Oklahoma and other states? Well, if they're listening, the Attorney General from Florida is an example. Or you're right. The solicitor in uh, Solicitor General in Texas absolutely could sue the state of Pennsylvania for the impact it's having on the Electoral College. Uh, that doesn't affect the Supreme Court in the cases that are there now. But yes, you're exactly right. Let me tell you, my friend, you win some free American government cheese. I have no way of getting it to you, but I want to congratulate you, Rick. Very, very well done. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. Wow. I didn't know there was an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal section of the opinion part of the newspaper, Mr. Producer, titled, An Unfunny Thing Happened on the Way to the 2021 Election. And in part, I only see this because I don't subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. Why would I? His Fox News colleague, Sean Hannity, to say the least, is not a comedian. And Mark Levin is as grim as Robespierre with a toothache. <laughs> you ever seen Paul Gigo on TV, Mr. Producer? Oh my God, who can watch that guy? No offense. I don't have to write an opinion, I'm just giving it. Oh my Lord. Wow. Think about a toothache. That'll give you a headache. Just saying. Does anybody deny there's fraud taking place in New York in this one congressional race? Where the Republican had a 28,000 vote lead, and now she's behind by 12? Did you see that one, Mr. Producer? No, 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 that's not fraud. Can you prove it? We talked to election officials, and election officials there said everything's on the up and up. These things happen, you know. They come in in uh, the thousands, uh, and uh, they're counted all at once uh, because we count them beforehand, and then we put them in the machine. That's all. Oh, okay, says the election official. Okay, we got it now. All right, I promised some calls here, didn't I, Mr. Producer? I think I did. We took our friend from Israel. Boy, he was sharp. He was sharp. And I hope some of these attorneys general in these states are listening. You can sue these other states, and you can claim, of course, that they're diminishing the uh, the legitimacy of the Electoral College, and they're diminishing the uh, 
the impact of your electors based on the fact that their election systems do not have the proper safety or security measures in place and that they should. Okay, let us go to uh, Amanda. Raleigh, North Carolina, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Amanda? I'm very well. How are you, Mr. Levin? I'm lovely. Thank you. Um, I'm calling about the Pennsylvania voter. (laughs) I'm calling about the Pennsylvania voter issue, but real quick before I say that, all of the Cuban Americans that I know and have spoken with, they understand bullying, but it's the bullying of the communism in Cuba Mm -hmm. that they came here to escape. That's why they're voting for Trump. And they understand bullying by lightweight morons at CNN, you know? Yes. They they recognize what this is leading to, and they don't want it to go there. They left there for a reason. We should listen to our Cuban brothers and sisters. We should listen to our Venezuelan brothers and sisters. We should listen to our Eastern European brothers and sisters and Russian brothers and sisters and, and God knows where else, people who come here from from uh, regimes in Africa and South and Central America and the Middle East. These are the people we should be listening to. I have a friend from Russia who is uh, now in the United States military, and he commented the other day that he feels like, especially with media, it's getting more and more like Russia Mm -hmm. before he left. Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking. I think uh, uh, Jeff Motherzucker would be very, very good. He'd be the Walter Durante of Russia for the New York Times and CNN. Walter Durante was a... uh, a disgusting pig who was a mouthpiece for Stalin. Stalin got him girlfriends and got him cars and and got him good food. As long as Walter Durante would keep giving the Stalin line while he was slaughtering Ukrainians. And the New York Times and Walter Durante were very, very happy with that. And in fact, he got a Pulitzer Prize. So that's how important a Pulitzer Prize is. Anyway, Amanda, I'm stepping all over you. Go ahead. Um, no problem. So the main reason I called was about the mail-in votes in Pennsylvania. Everybody's whining and complaining. What are you, you know, asking to throw them all out? Um, you know, that's 2.6 million people. You're going to disenfranchise them. However, they've already been disenfranchised by the government in Pennsylvania by the fact that the Supreme Court didn't step in at all. But they, they've been disenfranchised. This whole thing is to mitigate that. Because what about the other four and a half million people who voted? Is your point? Yeah, I mean, and not, and, and not only and not only that. Uh, notice they don't even come up and say, "Okay, we'll take a look at these mail-in votes," but the ones without signatures or where there's no signature match or without any postal date stamp on it, we'll get rid of those as we would have anyway. They won't even say that. You know why? They commingled all of them. Yeah, and there were what seven hundred thousand more that were returned than were requested. I mean, if we're talking about disenfranchisement, you've got the mail-in voters, so many of them have either been negated or their vote has been diminished of the legitimate voters. That is disenfranchisement, not to mention how that impacts the rest of the state. No, you're quite right. And I think Rick, or Rich, who was calling from Israel, that's, he, was, he was right on. And I hope there's an attorney general or solicitor general in one of these states that move have to move quickly. That move quickly and says yes. What took place in this state or that state diminishes our vote and diminishes our our electors. All right, my friend Amanda Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to thank you. All right, let's keep going. Let's go to Chris in Charleston, 
XM Satellite. How are you, Chris? I'm doing good. I hope you're doing well, too, sir. Very well. Thank you. Um, I keep hearing over and over that there's not enough fraudulent votes to overturn the election. Whatever happened to if you get caught cheating, you get disqualified? Well, it's a great point. It's uh, you're, 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 Are you talking about the whole state or the individual? Uh, the individual. Yeah, no, you're right. You not only your ballot's not only thrown out, you're going to prison. Tell me, with all the even they say, well, you know, we have individual cases of uh, fraud. Is anybody being prosecuted even at the state level? Have you heard anything? Uh, I haven't heard a damn thing. Did you know this is the cleanest election in modern history, according to the cyber nut who resigned and was interviewed by 60 Minutes? And I think to myself, how is that even possible? With all these changes, they just think we're so stupid. They pushed this Russia crap for four years, and you're supposed to believe that. And I want you to believe that nothing happened to this election. The president gets 11 million more votes than before, the highest number of anybody in history running for office, except for the basement creature who's hiding out in the bay. He gets 80 million votes. He can't speak. He can't, he can't, he can't walk. He can't leave the basement. Guy gets 80 million votes. It's unbelievable. That's the problem. All right, thank you for your call, my friend. Let's continue, shall we? David, Lansing. It's Lansing, Illinois, or Lansing, Michigan? Illinois. Oh, I didn't know there was a Lansing, uh, Illinois. Yeah, it's, it's south of Chicago. It's so close I can hear gunshots uh, over oh, the Chicago line sometimes. <laughs> so you sit out the uh, back, have red wine, and you listen to gunshots. Oh, you should hear New Year's Eve. It sounds like a gun battle all night. And, you know, that's, um, that's such a sin, what goes on in these big cities, and, uh, and the inattention that it receives is just unbelievable. Anyway, go right ahead. Around here, you get used to it. Anyway, uh, um, I appreciate your in-depth analysis of law. Keep going. And my comment is, um, I hear a lot. I listen to a ton of talk radio, including Hannity, Limbaugh, everybody. And I hear a lot of callers on the right calling in, asking, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And they seem so frustrated. Here's what you can do while sitting at home, even. You can support the media outlets that are telling the truth. You can buy their newspapers, the few that are out there. You could um, buy their products that they're advertising. You can even donate to some of these stations, and that's what I'm doing. I'm waging a financial war. And, and I'm- let, let, me, let me tell you the truth, and people say it's self-serving. You can say whatever you wish. I would put our news operation at the Blaze up against any in the country. The Blaze is terrific. Levin TV, which is what I do. You look at the Daily Caller. You look at the Daily Wire. Uh, there are others out there, and they survive on subscriptions, and they're not, they're not supported by multinational corporations or billionaires like Bezos or anything like that. They have no ties to any of these uh, corporatists and their agenda. I can tell you, in none of the jobs I have, uh, well, let me put it to you this way. In, on Fox and on the Blaze TV, nobody has ever told me what to do, ever. Now, it's been tried on radio. It was tried on radio. But it's not going to be tried again. That much I can tell you. 
But on uh, on my television side, digital and cable, no, nobody's ever said it. I don't have co- you know. There's no Zucker call that says, uh, "All right, everybody, uh, everybody dressed, guys, you got your pants on, okay, everybody take a shower, that's good, all right." You know, we're doing Zoom here, and uh, we can't have another uh, Jeffrey Tubin incident, or can we? Yeah, maybe we will. But anyway, uh, you know, here at CNN, uh, news is news, and uh, and uh, news is snooze. So we got to move on. And uh, today's news is uh, how to hate Trump in twelve different ways. Okay? Yes, it is. Uh, he's mentally ill. Uh, he's out of control. He's a dictator. Uh, go after Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham's been defending. Make sure you trash Fox and Breitbart in the New York Post. I mean, whatever you do, don't report on Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden. That's a rabbit hole. Uh, we don't go down rabbit holes here at, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at CNN because we're all a bunch of a-holes and we don't need rabbit holes. So we just, we just, you know, we just want to follow the news. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's what I'm talking. You know, just like a military needs a supply line, people sitting at home that, co- that can't go out to a Trump rally or a Stop the Steal rally, they can use their money just like a supply. A military needs a supply line and buy. Like I just went from I went, just went to the grocery store and I bought an Epoch Times, which I consider conservative. They are very um, good, but I think they're very fair. And um, you know, uh, the the channel I forgot their name. They they uh, televise the Arizona hearings for the was that AON? I don't think they. Uh, was, I think uh, they're right on side. cable, but they're not in enough homes. You know, they not they need to get into more homes. It was a uh, right side broadcasting. Ah, network. right side. They're very good. Out. Yeah, and very I, good. I just gave money to them last night. <laughs> so, all right, everybody, everybody, contact. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, in Lansing, Illinois. Everybody, contact Dave. He's he's in the mood. All right, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Good call. You're a patriot. Dave's a patriot. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. I don't know why anybody's surprised that the Trotskyite wing of the Democrat Party is attacking the Stalinist wing of the Democrat Party. You can see the Trotskyites. Omar Talib Presley attacking Barack Milhouse Benito Obama. Look at this. The progressives are attacking Obama. What the hell do you think Obama is? So the Marxists always fight with each other. 
the Marxists always fight with each other. So it's not, well, look at this, the moderates versus the progressive. No, it's not. Nobody's moderate among these people. It's the Trotskyites versus the Stalinists. It's that simple. And I say keep fighting. Enjoy. Enjoy. Just make sure you wear your masks. And uh, stay inside six feet apart. And fight all you wish. Maybe I'll get that flippy fish toy, Mr. Bruce. Have you seen that toy for the cats? It drives them nuts. Put it on the ground. It, it, it flops around like a, like a flounder on the beach. Like Chris Christie naked on the beach, just flopping around. Oh, forget that. Excuse me, I would draw that. I would draw that. Let's go to Josie, Pensacola, Florida. How are you, Josie? Hey, Mark. Thank you so much. You're Uh, welcome. You're so wonderful to America, let me tell you. Thank you. Um, as a young girl, 15 years old, I lived through communists in Chile in 1973, September 11th. Allende. And uh, it's like I'm living through it again uh, when the toilet paper was out. And uh, things are going to get rough. And I keep telling people, but they didn't believe me. I've been telling them for a couple of years. And the Latino people like me, we have videos where we have seen some of the children from uh, the head honchos from Venezuela and Cuba, they're in New York City and in the big cities, guiding the sell-out Americans, and it is a disgrace mm. what's happening. And Joe Biden and his clown, they need to be arrested. They may, well, they're not going to be arrested, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, Josie. Not the first day, but at some point. We're going to have blackouts and brownouts in this country. You are going to see shortages. Uh, This is what happens when you destroy the greatest economic engine on the face of the earth. When you destroy energy independence, something we've been trying to be for a half a century. They're going to destroy it. They're going to have people coming into this country in droves, getting on welfare immediately. This is why we fight, and we fight, and we fight, and we hope that, that we can take this election back. It's an uphill battle. We got a lot of people stabbing us in the back, but we do the best we can. Thank you. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.